Welcome to The Path to Lawyer Wellbeing, a podcast about cool people doing awesome work in the space of lawyer well-being. This podcast is presented by the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing. I'm Chris Newbold, and I'm joining you from Missoula, Montana, and I'm excited to be joined by my co-host, Bree Buchanan. Hi, everybody. I'm Bree, and I'm joining you from Eugene, Oregon. And Chris and I are both co-chairs of the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing. And so a little bit just about what that group is. We're a group of lawyers representing different uh, parts of the bar when each of us are a leader within that group. And what binds us together is a passion for improving the lives of lawyers. And we all hold a belief that to achieve that goal, there has to be a systemic change within our profession so that well-being of its members is a top priority. This is our inaugural podcast, and I think this is the kind of the right time to do a few things, I think, in our first podcast, which is to introduce a little bit about the well-being movement, to introduce you to the National Task Force on Lawyer Well-Being, uh, to end, you know, most importantly, probably to introduce you to us. Why we find a personal passion in lawyer well-being what our hopes and aspirations are as we think about the vision of this podcast series, because there's incredible work going on around the country right now in this space of, of lawyer well-being, uh, launched several years ago with a, with, a, with a legendary report that I think um, ignited a national discussion on this particular issue. And, and this is, I think, just a really exciting time for us in the movement as we have grown really a a, 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 a large contingent of folks who are really fundamentally hoping to see some systemic changes in our profession for the betterment as we think about lawyer health and well-being. So um, we're going to have some fun today, I think, in our first podcast, Bree, and and uh, and, and I think you know, let's, let's talk about the just the kind of the notion of a theme around beginnings. Sure. And I thought it would be really great today. Yeah, talk about the beginning of this podcast. Talk about the beginnings of the National Task Force. I mean, how did it come about? Why did we do this? How was it envisioned? Um, and what is it that we're trying to do? And then also, I thought it would be, this is the perfect time to talk about, Chris, you and I, our beginnings in this movement. You know, what drew us to this? There's a real passion um, on the part of everybody that's working in this movement. And so what got us to this point? And it's, uh, I think it's a pretty interesting story. So I it look is. forward to sharing it. Yeah. It's been, it's been, I think, a really unique journey. And again, I think something that we continue to be very optimistic about where this movement is moving and, and the, the type of change that I think that we can, uh, we can, we can engineer as we grow an army of well-being advocates around the country. So let's, Bree, let's start. I, you know, I'd love, love to kind of go back to, um, you know, the, the namesake of this podcast is, is the path to lawyer well-being. And that, uh, that name, I think, resonates with you as, as someone who's a, really a co-founder of our movement and, and, uh, and a report uh, that got started by a coalition of organizations that begin to really kind of take an interesting look at this particular issue. Can you, you kind of take us back to those early days of, of, sure. of well-being and kind of you know, how did it come together and, and, and what, 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 what have been some of the kind of the crowning achievements as we think about it? 
Sure. In some ways, it's a bit of an improbable story. You know, it sounds like such a sort of official group, and it really started in back in 2016. And um, there were a group of us who were each in our own right leaders of a national organization that worked in the space of lawyer impairment, lawyer well-being. And we um, basically commandeered an empty conference room <laughs> at the ABA annual meeting in San Francisco in 2016. You know, we don't get to see each other very often. And so let's, let's sit down and talk about the fact that we now have these two really significant large studies about the rates of impairment and the state of affairs of lawyer and law student well-being in the country. And we haven't had that before. You know, those of us, I can't come to this movement out of the lawyer's assistance program world. Um, I was an incoming chair of the ABA Commission on Lawyer's Assistance Programs. And um, I had known just from the work that I did and the calls that I answered every day at the LAP, the lab, that there was a real problem that the profession was experiencing with depression and substance abuse and alcohol use disorder, et cetera. Um, we had f a couple of folks from the National Organization of Bar Council, the people who regulate the profession, and a couple of folks from the Association of Professional Responsibility Lawyers and the, the lawyers who often um, end up defending lawyers who are in the disciplinary system and really work around and in the space of ethics and professional responsibility. And so the small group of us sat down in that room and I don't know what was in the water or the air that day, but we decided that um, given that we finally had the data, the hard data to prove what we had known all along, um, we felt that there was a window of opportunity for us to, to move with that information. And on that day, we decided that we were going to gulp, <laughs> create a movement to bring about systemic change within the legal profession in regards to how the health and well-being of its members are basically how that's prioritized. Because we had seen too much suffering. Some of us had suffering in our own lives um, I had witnessed too many uh, lawyer suicides, and we really were so motivated to do something and do something quickly. So we had that charge uh, moving forward. We left that room. We brought together a coalition of national organizations, and we had some pretty, uh, ultimately ended up with some pretty prestigious groups, such as the Conference of Chief Justices, um, the National uh, Association of Bar Executives is coming on board, um, et cetera, et cetera. And we decided that we needed to do um, a report to the profession and say, you know, we now have this information. We know that there are real issues within our profession and we need to do something about it. And here, the, be the best minds that we could bring together who work and think about these issues every day um, these are our recommendations to the profession. And Chris, you were part of that. Um, talk a little bit about your role in all of that. Yeah, I, I, I come from the, from the side of uh, lawyers' professional liability insurance, right? And so we have a vested interest in seeing uh, lawyers uh, practice with a duty of competence. And, and I think one of the things that we saw as a recurring theme 
in some of our claims activity is the notion that uh, impairment oftentimes is a precursor to a malpractice claim. And so, you know, based upon a really simple premise that I think that the report kind of uh, signaled, which is to be a good lawyer, one has to be a healthy lawyer. And so that was, you know, that was, a, a, you know, for, for Alps, the company that I work for, which is the largest direct writer of lawyers malpractice insurance in the country and other malpractice uh, insurance uh, carriers, uh, it was a it was a kind of a natural fit that we want to see lawyers thrive. Uh, we want to see them be uh, just wonderful advocates on behalf of their of their clients. And and too often when when lawyers are finding themselves in tough situations, they were reverting to things that would generally take them into a downward trajectory and and uh, and and open themselves up to a to a malpractice claim. So. Um, what I think is really cool, Bree, about the kind of the way that this movement got started, um, is just the diversity of the groups that were at the table, right? And, mm-hmm. and you're talking about a real sense of kind of a grassroots. You got chief justices, you got, you know, you, know, you, got, you got disciplinary uh, counsel, you got the, the obviously the, the incredible work that our lawyer assistance programs do uh, around the country. You got the Association of Professional Responsibility Lawyers, various um, entities that have associations with the American Bar Association. What, a, what an interesting uh, kind of group to come together. I don't, I don't really know of many other uh, kind of legal issues that have kind of started from such a, such a grassroots perspective. And, and let's reset the timeline a little bit. This happened in, in August of, of 2016. So we're about four years now away right. from kind of this getting started. And, and, and really, uh, I'd love for you to kind of walk us through one year later, after that, you, you know, you, we, we were on the cusp of releasing the report that kind of got everything <laughs> yeah. going. Uh, yeah. That's a pretty short period of time to kind of mobilize that group and to, to, uh, to, to uh, publish, produce, research uh, what ultimately came uh, to be known as, as, uh, as the path to lawyer well-being. And it, it really is amazing in a, in a little touch of a miracle that it all came together. You have these disparate backgrounds and and we really did everything by consensus and i you know you've probably heard me talk about this before chris but i felt like it was birthing a child it took nine months to to write the report and um it was a tremendous amount of work all of us had not only our day jobs but we're also leaders of national organizations so we crammed all of this work in between the the little pieces of open time that there might be and really everything that we decided ultimately uh, just just about was by consensus. And we, everyone was amazingly on the same page. Um, we broke up into to writing groups based upon um, the stakeholder group that we were involved in. And it was just really quite miraculous. And the uh, editor-in-chief for the report is, is Ann Brafford. And we're, I'm excited to announced that she's going to be um, our first guest on this podcast. Um, and she was the editor-in-chief and just did an amazing job and also the founder of the Lawyer Wellbeing Week, which just launched this past um, spring. So it was pretty incredible process. We finished the report and published it in early summer of 2017. We immediately took it to the Conference of Chief Justices and asked if they would endorse it. Effectively, they passed a resolution uh, encouraging uh, all members of the profession to read and take heed of the report. 
And then within days of that, we were able to leverage that support and take it to the ABA. Um, and we were back there at the next annual meeting, August of 27, and there was a resolution introduced and passed by the House of Delegates uh, supporting the, the report. So, so much happened so quickly. Uh, it was just, uh, in some way, it's one of those things where it felt like it was uh, kind of meant to be. Yeah, and let's, let's for, for our listeners out there, uh, if you haven't had a chance to see the report, uh, the report can be found at lawyerwellbeing.net. Uh, where you can download the report. It's it. Uh, you know, one of the things I, I work a lot in the bar association world, and it was really exciting to see uh, just how fast uh, the that we struck a chord. I think with um, with folks who you know really want to see lawyers again thrive uh, in being successful in in law practice. And I know we'll get to our personal stories, and and I'll talk a little bit about why I got involved in the movement, but. I think that it's, it's just really, um, it, it was exciting to see that the report itself, which, uh, you know, we, we flirted with actually naming this podcast 44 Recommendations, right? Because <laughs> it was a fairly comprehensive report that outlined for various stakeholders pathways uh, to being part of the solution when it comes to lawyer well-being. We, we, we talk a lot about the challenges of our profession um, this was a, what, what I loved about it was it was a forward looking document that said, if you're interested in being part of the solution, here are the pathways. Absolutely. And, you know, everybody that got involved from the beginning all the way through to when we were passing resolutions, when the president of the ABA, Hillary Bass, picked this up and said she wanted to make it a priority. I believe that it was so successful because every person who picked this up and looked at it, he or she had experience either maybe within their own career, but certainly over the course of their career, they had known lawyers or maybe judges or even a law student who had experienced some of these problems, had experienced some severe episode of depression or perhaps of a substance use disorder. Um, even though we don't talk about these things in the profession, we have all bumped up against it in one way or another over the course of our career. And, and really what most tragically motivates so many people, especially if you've been in this field for a couple of decades or more, we all have stories of someone we have worked with, uh, have known, a colleague who has taken his or her own life. And unfortunately, the tragedy with those tragedies comes um, some opportunities to look at how we can do things better and it, and it really motivates people to make some change. And so it seems like that the task force and the report, it was the right thing at the right time. Um, and since that time, one, what we've really worked towards is trying to build, I guess you'd say a grassroots movement across the country. And that starts with each of the states taking the report. Uh, we, we were actually talk about sort of, I talk about um, being cheeky. <laughs> Is, if you look in the report, it's actually to the chief justice of each state um, and saying to her or him, you know, this is ultimately your responsibility for the, the well-being of the legal community under you. And we're asking you to pull together a task force or commission or committee 
uh, pulling together the heads of the different stakeholder groups within the profession. Take a look at this report, see if there's something that inspires you, see if there are things that need to happen in your state, what works for you. Uh, if it doesn't work for your state, then don't do it. And um, a large number of states are picking up that charge and it really is occurring in a, in, again, in a really compressed timeline. And it's amazing, Chris, you've been a part of a number of those states coming together to try and pull, uh, put together their own task force. Yeah, and it's, it's been really, again, impressive to see the amount of interest at the local level. And I, I think change generally starts at the local level. Uh, so when you think about the, you know, we, we had a, a number of states, and I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to a couple of them, uh, states like uh, Vermont, uh, they went out really early, uh, put together a task force, uh, had a very supportive Chief Justice and uh, Chief Justice Paul Ryber, uh, and, and really have done uh, really significant work moving it forward. Virginia is another great example. One of, Absolutely. One of our uh, national task force uh, original members was uh, Chief uh, the Chief Justice um, there, Don uh, Lemons. Justice, Don Lemons in Virginia. Uh, just uh, again, this is just an issue that resonated with him. And and you know we do a lot of malpractice insurance in the Commonwealth, and and I just think that there's a yearning to to be the very best lawyers that we can possibly be, and and to have the support of the judiciary there and the and the Virginia State Bar. Um, Utah, another great example of a state that got out in front and, right. and, and really started to set the tone for a movement of state, uh, state task forces or state commissions or uh, to really look at the issue, identify how well-being uh, is occurring at, their, at the local level, uh, make suggestions, make recommendations, and again, strive for systemic change to our particular profession. It's uh, Bree, do you have the, the latest numbers on, on how many states have uh, engaged in some type of uh, activity at the, at the state sure. level for a task force yeah. or a commission? One cool thing you can do is on our website, lawyerwellbeing.net, if you scroll down and there's an interactive map, and so you can see the states, you know, it's, it's wonderful to see it visually, the states where they have implemented a commission or a task force or that sort of thing. In some states, they haven't uh, done a multi-stakeholder group. Maybe it is the state bar has put together a lawyer well-being committee or commission. Uh, that's doing a lot of the the work around this um, universally or almost universally the lawyers assistance programs are are very involved in this work too so that it's taken different forms but you know i would say the last time i counted there's about 32 to 35 states now that are working in this space so well over um, a majority so it's exciting yeah, and, and I think ultimately what, what is most exciting for those of us in this space is, you know, what started out as a small group of 20 to 25 people really kind of concerned about the issue ha has really multiplied by, by many, many factors in terms of, you know, there are literally people in every state uh, and every territory around the United States that are vested in this particular issue, are working with their respective state bars or their regulatory entities or their Supreme Courts. Um, and this is, you know, that, that's the underpinnings of, again, a, a, a change in the environment, a change in, in, uh, in, in what we're trying to promote, which is, I think, uh, obviously a, a, a healthier 
legal profession of folks who find professional satisfaction in the practice of law. And as we know from the numbers, that's not always the case, right? And, and right. So we, we, we have a lot of work to do because we, we work in an adversarial system. Uh, we work in a stressful system. Um, and, you know, we, and, and, and then you add on top of that some of the events of 2020 and, and, and you double down on that even further, right? right. So th there, there just can't be, I think, a more important time for us to be launching this podcast series to talk about the issues that are affecting uh, the, the, the current and the future of lawyer well-being and have, you know, really bring on, uh, again, really cool people doing awesome work in this particular mm -hmm. field. Because I, I, these, there are great people. Uh, we, we will talk to the Ann Bradfords and the Patrick Krills, and, but we'll also go down, you know, those are national, I think, pioneers in our space. But we'll also, I think, go down and, and also look for stories that, that's happening at the local level. Uh, we'll, we'll look at specific topics. I mean, we have, we have all these sta state task force chairs that are looking for guidance in particular areas of the well-being discussion. We have modifications to the rules of professional conduct uh, that are happening with respect to well-being. We have uh, incredible stories happening in our law schools. We have, uh, we have developments on uh, character and fitness uh, parts of bar applications. Uh, we have, um, you know, pathways for reducing uh, stigma in, in, in law firm culture. There's just, I think, it's just what I'm excited about is the, I think, the intellectual journey that, that is in front of us. Um, and as you, Bree, as you think about the vision of this podcast, what, what, what kind of gets you excited about what kind of what's on the horizon? Because there's just so many areas that we could go as, as, as we co-host this, uh, this podcast series. And, and what, what has you excited? Well, I'm excited now after hearing you <laughs> list all of those things out. I'm really jazzed about the future of what we're going to do. Um, because again, there are so many people working in this space and anybody that starts to work on the issues around lawyer impairment and lawyer well-being, if you dig just a little bit under the surface, there's a story there. And I'm excited about bringing forward some of those stories. Um, and so on that um, topic, Chris, let's talk about our stories and our- Yeah, let's, 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 let's take a quick break. Uh, I wanna yeah, hear okay. from our friends at Alps who are, Alps is uh, obviously the, the entity as you will learn is the, the, where I do my day job. Um, and, and we've been able to leverage uh, the marketing department here. And, you know, and, and so let's hear from our friends at Alps and then we'll come back and, and uh, we'll pick up and, and talk about our own stories. Great. Okay. Welcome back. And I, Bree, this is the part of, I think, our first podcast that I was looking forward uh, most. And even though you and I have worked together for three to four years now, you know, sometimes we, we, we don't know the personal story about, uh, about the why, right? And right. As we think about beginnings and, and the beginning of this podcast, I thought it would be, uh, I think we, we both thought it would be appropriate that we share our individual stories and and uh, you know, while we bring passion, that passion I think originated from uh, differing sources. And so it'd be, I just thought we'd, we'd close out our first podcast with uh, a little bit of an introduction of ourselves to our, to our listeners. And sure. if, you could, if you could start us off with, with kind of your story and, and, and how you find yourself where you are today. Yeah, and I, how I find myself today, it's a miracle, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's just astounding to be in this in this space and be able to work on these issues because um, the 
the issues around depression and anxiety and substance use disorders and all of those things are things that plagued me throughout my life and my career. And so to come through that and through recovery and on the other side and be in a position now where I can work to make such a difference. I mean, it's just miraculous. Um, when I started law school, you know, I'll just give you everything. I was, I graduated law school in 1989, so you can do the math, but, um, I got to law school and was absolutely terrified. I was one of those many, uh, I think probably many, nobody ever talks about it, but feeling like an imposter. You know, the, there's a thing called the imposter syndrome. And then I was, what was I doing here? And I'm not nearly as smart as all the, these other people who are, you know, fronting and acting so smart and covering over their own insecurities. Um, and so by the time I got to the first end of the first uh, semester of first year of law school and got my grades, um, I ended up with a full-blown panic disorder, which is miserable, um, lots of anxiety um, every single day. And so I started doing what um, worked and what was certainly um, the go-to for anything and everything in the legal profession, which was alcohol. And I found that if I drank and drank pretty heavily, um, that anxiety would go away. And so I graduated from law school. I got the job that I had always wanted, which was to work at legal aid and was doing domestic violence uh, litigation for about 10 years and loved it, but was absolutely terrified the whole time, um, particularly the first couple of years. And again, raising that issue of the imposter syndrome, being so afraid that I'm new and every time the phone rings that it's going to be an opposing counsel and they're going to beat up or on or take advantage of this new lawyer. And, so, and I also was dealing with the incredibly difficult content of the, of the uh, cases, the evidence, the horrific fact patterns. Um, later on got involved in litigation with child abuse and uh, representing children that are in the foster care system. So if you think about the type of facts and stories that I was living in every day, um, I dealt with what is now called compassion fatigue. I had no idea what that was at the time in the early 90s dealt with burnout, too much work and not enough time to do it all, not enough support systems, et cetera. And so I dealt with a lot of um, depression. I still had some anxiety. And again, what I found worked, quote unquote, worked in the moment was to use alcohol. And I, over the course of my career, um, I really ended up taking sort of two paths. There was the public face, um, and then there was the private face. So publicly, and if that you'd be, um, look at my CV, you know, it, it looks good. There I had some, I had good jobs, leadership positions, president of this, whatever, you know, you, you think, oh, she's, she's got it together. <laughs> but what was going on in my home um, where no one could see was a lot of very unhappy existence, exhaustion, not feel ever feeling good enough because I held myself to, to a standard of perfection. Um, and ultimately, as it tends to happen, um, I drank more over time. 
Uh, we know that the prolonged, sustained drinking of alcohol in heavy amounts starts to create changes in the brain. Um, I started to become physically dependent to it, upon it. Um, ultimately, I lost my marriage. That wasn't enough to get me to stop drinking. Um, and I find that listening to the stories of hundreds, if not thousands of lawyers dealing with similar problems when I was at the lawyer's assistance program, uh, that was common. Lawyers will let everything else fall in their life. Um, and then when it gets to work, which is where it finally got to me, when it affects your career, then we're, that's the bottom. And um, not too long after I lost my marriage, I lost my job and that point was my low point and I finally was ready to admit that I couldn't um, control my drinking anymore and I got into recovery and I just as I tend to throw myself full on into whatever I do I did that with recovery as well and that for me uh, meant really making use of all the resources were that were available and the thing that I learned early on and what I try to impart so much to people, who, lawyers who are suffering, is you've got to ask for help. We've got to be willing to say, I'm suffering, I'm struggling, and I need help. And I did that um, in spades. I um, called uh, the uh, and got involved with a therapist. I saw a psychiatrist to get treatment for my depression and anxiety. I um, participated in a mutual support program for my drinking, worked that program. Um, I got involved with the lawyer's assistance program and ultimately ended up getting, getting a, a job there. And so fast forward, um, I've been in recovery now for 10 and a half years and my life is amazing. Uh, it is beyond anything that I could have ever imagined, but I had to get to that point and that realization where I um, ex was willing to be vulnerable, ask for help, and then do the work, you know, ask for help and then do what I was told to do by people who um, are experts in the field. And so you can see I have uh, a real sort of homegrown passion for this. I understand really what it's like to to live every day going to work uh, as a lawyer and um, being afraid and being not feeling like you're enough. Um, anyway, so I've just out of all of that, I've grown to have a real passion for making sure as few um, others as possible have that same experience. And, and we'll share my story uh, when people are interested and I think that it would be of help. Yeah. Well, thank you, uh, Bree, for a couple of things. First of all, uh, being vulnerable and telling your own personal story. I mean, I think that we will uh, consistently encourage that of all of our guests, uh, I think, on the podcast, because um, that vulnerability, I think, is something that uh, naturally allows us to be better uh, understanding of your how you uh, have um, you know, the depth of personal struggles that you have endured have led you to this position of moving into leadership and helping others. Right. And that's, that's, that's awesome stuff. Right. And, and, uh, and, you know, I was going to take a couple of minutes on, on my story. It's, it's interesting. Great. My story is that I think a completely different track, right. It's not as much, um, 
developed from its core from, uh, from, a, from a personal perspective as much as from an observation perspective, which right. is, you know, I, I, just a history on myself, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a first generation college graduate in my family, right? And so uh, everything was new, right? And, and so as I looked at being a, a, you know, and going to law school and understanding that I was entering a profession that, you know, I was very much public interest oriented probably when I went into law school and, and just kind of saw some things happening in law school amongst classmates and others that gave me concern. And then as I reflected, I'm a, I'm a 2001 graduate of the University of Montana School of Law. And, uh, and one of the things as I reflected on really kind of a 10 year point in my legal career um, was that when I, when I queried my, my classmates about their, sat, their professional satisfaction in the practice of law, I, I just frankly wasn't getting a, a response that, um, that, was, uh, that was positive, right? And, and so, you know, when you think about the fact that folks have went down a course in terms of selection of, of a professional career and to not be finding professional satisfaction and to you know, almost actively be encouraging their kids to not think about pursuing a passion in law. Right. It just gave me a, a, a belief that there's something systemically broken in our, in, in our profession. Again, great things happening in a lot of different respects. And, and, and I think our, our, our profession is one that has, um, I, I'm always driven by seeing organizations and individuals realize their potential. Right. And if we think about the legal profession, I, I just kind of reflected on the notion that I don't think our legal profession is realizing its potential. And part of it has to do with the manner in which um, there's just a, a nature of unhealthiness and an undercurrent beneath the hood a little bit that is pulling away from our organ from our profession, realizing its potential and and uh, happened to be in a class of a graduating class of 75 at the University of Montana and have had to endure three suicides in our class, right? Wow. And again, you just sit there and go, what, what's going on? Like, why, why is this happening? And it's, it's not always related to the law. Obviously we are human beings before we are lawyers and we always have to remember that. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of my time really kind of thinking about why are some of these things occurring? Um, you know, in my day job here at Alps, I spend a lot of time working with state bar associations and doing strategic planning. And, and I know how much this issue is, uh, affects uh, members of bar associations. And so, you know, I just kind of felt like, I, I kind of feel like I'm an accidental leader in some respects in this movement, but I was drawn to it because I believe in the potential of our profession and uh, in working toward making it better. And uh, I felt like, you know, if I, have, if I have some skills and some passion, and, and if I can somehow advance the conversation that this, this would be an appropriate uh, venue to get involved. And, and, and I happened to get uh, introduced to the well-being movement by somebody who also, Brie, you know very well, and that's uh, our dear friend, Jim Coyle out Absolutely. of Colorado. Uh, Jim, Jim would be an incredible, and Brie, we got to get Jim on to the podcast because I think that uh, uh, he was single-handedly responsible for seeing something in me and seeing some, uh, somehow my perspectives would add uh, perspective and flavor to our discussions 
um, and Jim was an original uh, co-chair uh, of the National Task Force on Lawyer Wellbeing uh, after having sat and served with distinction uh, in the Office of uh, Disciplinary Counsel and Attorney Regulation, I guess they call it in, in Colorado. And, and so Jim introduced me and, and said, you, you got something to give to this movement and, and invited me in. And it's been, a, it's been a, a wonderful and rewarding journey thus far. And right. we still have a lot of work to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm hearing your story, what brought you to the movement, and that's a first for me. And it really strikes me that between our two stories, it, it, it encapsulates what the, the issues that the National Task Force is working on. I mean, I come to this because I have a history of imp basically impairments or the depression and substance use disorder. And we're really about the national task force is really about trying to provide, make sure that there is treatment. Um, there are resources, there's education and information about, about that out there. There's providers who can talk about that. Um, but it's also really about so much of what we wanted to do is about the fact that so many of our colleagues are not thriving in the practice of law and what a loss, what a loss personally, and what a loss to the profession when we're not able to work up to our full capacity. So I think it's, um, this is a great partnership, Chris. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm excited for the journey. Um, I, I do think that, you know, I wanted to give a little bit of a, a preview of who our intended audience is, because I think that that's an important part of why we developed the podcast series in the first place. This podcast series is specifically designed for folks who are taking an active leadership role in the well-being movement for you to hear from others around the country uh, to learn their stories and learn about their expertise so that you can find and connect dots into resources that you need uh, to help us move this movement forward. Um, there are other podcasts out there that I think focus on individual lawyers. Um, there's, you know, obviously mindfulness, meditation, eating well, taking care of yourself. Um, those are those are those are very important attributes to uh, to uh, taking each lawyer individually as uh, in comprising our legal profession. Our goal, I think, in this particular podcast is to think about those who are thinking about it holistically, thinking about it in terms of how they can. Uh, move the needle uh, at the local level. And so this is a podcast that's specifically developed for all those folks who have a real passion in becoming leaders in our movement and, and connecting those folks uh, through the sharing of, of uh, information and education. Right. And we've always, the task force, we've always been about really looking at systemic change. Um, we're not, we said from the very beginning, we're not going to try and lecture individual lawyers that they need to eat their vegetables and exercise because yeah. we, knew, we know that. And what, and an individual lawyer uh, can meditate and run and eat all the broccoli in the world, but they can't change the systemic issues within the legal system that make it almost impossible for everyone to be able to really thrive. And so that's what we're trying to get at, the big picture stuff. Yep, and Bree, you and I, we have a goal, right? That we wanna keep these episodes to probably 20 to 45 minutes and we're targeting, you know, probably two podcasts a month, right? As we, as we look to uh, continue to add new guests and new perspectives 
to this uh, podcast series. So we should, Bree, we got to wrap this up. Uh, we we, we got we got a lot of preparation to do as we as we uh, nail down uh, future speakers. We're excited, I think, by uh, the journey that that uh, that that lies ahead. And so, I'm uh, you know wishing you well. This is Chris and Bree. And uh, we'll sign off. Thank you for thank you for listening, and and we'll be back with a with a podcast uh, probably in a couple of weeks. Thank you. Mm-hmm.